Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. October saw the Supreme Court back in session to deal with a number of controversial cases, including guns, abortion, and religion. Makes you wonder, why does the issue of religious expression in the public spaces keep coming up as well? More to the point, is that issue important to our understanding of religious freedom? Liberty Magazine editor Bettina Krauss is with us via Skype to add some perspective to all of this. Our program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Religious expression in public spaces, Bettina. The Supreme Court is in session. What can we expect? Yes. Well, Charles, you know, as you said, the the Supreme Court officially began its session. And, you know, it's so interesting. At the start of every Supreme Court term, there's always the media commentators that start throwing around terms like this could be a momentous term, this could be a blockbuster term for the Supreme Court. But for the very first time in a long time, it actually feels like that could be true. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does feel like there could be some sort of momentous shift on a number of key issues that the court is set to consider. And that is because both the nature of the cases that are on the docket but also because, as you know, the composition of the church, of the court has... <laughs> I've never had anyone con- <laughs> confuse the Supreme Court and the church. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, though you have to admit, when you listen to it, when you go to the Supreme Court, it does have a kind of a holy feel to it. It does. It does it have does. a church-like feel. But in this instance, it is most definitely not a church. <laughs> yes. But there has been a, a change in the composition of, of the justices. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, we have a 6-3 conservative majority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there seems like no particular reason why some major shifts shouldn't occur. And so that has a lot of people sitting on edge as as they watch this court get to work this term. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's actually interesting, Charles, I've been watching over the past few months all these statements being made by some of the associate justices of the Supreme Court, Breyer, Thomas, uh, Alito, and then just more recently, Coney Barrett, all coming out publicly saying things like, as Coney Barrett put it just last month in Kentucky, she said, this court is not comprised of a bunch of partisan hacks. It's almost like there's this preemptive justification going on. They're trying to reassure the public that they're making their decisions based on judicial philosophy, not on partisan preference. And that's the line that's coming out of the conservative side of the Supreme Court of late. But the problem is, of course, Charles, that if there is no substantial difference between the decisions that are being made according to this judicial ideology or judicial philosophy and certain political perspectives, then the public isn't going to see that there's any difference. They're still going to see the court as politically partisan. And I think that's reflected in a number of polls that have been done recently on public perceptions of the court. There was one just last week, the Gallup poll released data showing that only 40% of Americans feel that the Supreme Court is doing a good job. And mm-hmm. and that is the lowest percentage 
that's been recorded since that question began to be asked by Gallup. So there is this sort of sense that we're dealing with an institution that is sort of riven by these partisan preferences. And so people are waiting to see what happens next on some of these very pivotal cultural and social issues that the court is set to examine this term. We will have to assume that America will quietly fall in line behind what the Supreme Court decides, and we will just follow along. Do you see that happening? Has that ever happened? Well, I think we are seeing, and I think most commentators would agree, that we're seeing an erosion of the perception of the Supreme Court as ideologically neutral. You see Chief Justice Roberts, many people believe he has been engaged in a battle to steer the court in a centrist way. And you see that in in cases where he has actually sided with the more liberal wing of the court to get these more centrist outcomes. But really, that is out of his hands at this point, because there's five justices to the right of him now who are solidly conservative, and only three to the left of him. And so to your question, will the public simply follow along? Well, that's a question that remains to be seen. You know, you hear rumblings about the need to reform the court, and that in itself is a, is a whole yes. <laughs> can of worms yes, right yes. there. But we will see. But, you know, certainly how the court rules this term will play into how the public perceives the court as an institution. Now, Bettina, you live and breathe religious freedom, religious liberty. How do you see that particular area of our lives being addressed in the upcoming court? There's a couple of cases. There was actually one that was granted just four or five days ago that deal with religious freedom head on. And both of them are focused on more the separation clause, Mm -hmm. the anti-establishment clause of the First Amendment. And there's a voucher case that comes out of Maine, a school voucher case. But the case that really caught my attention was the one that the court recently decided to consider, and that's a Boston flag case. And it caught my attention because uh, it's basically a symptom of something that just won't go away in our legal system. This idea of what are the appropriate parameters of religious expression within the civic space, the public space. This is a question that just keeps coming up decade after decade. The facts of this case are basically that Boston City Hall has three flagpoles, one for the US flag, one for the state flag, and one which sometimes flies the banners of different organizations or even foreign states, depending on what's happening in Boston at the time. And a Christian organization asked for permission to fly the Christian flag. And that request was denied because the city government felt that this would appear to convey at least an endorsement of a particular religious view. And it was a coherent decision in light of how it's treated religious expressions 
in the public space in Boston in the past. Anyway, so this case has progressed and now many are speculating that the Supreme Court will radically expand the hole mm. <laughs> that is appearing in the wall of separation between church and state, that they will actually expand the ability of religious expression and apparent endorsement by government in the public space. And which, as you know, Charles, Liberty Magazine has long argued that religious freedom is best protected when there is a robust separation between mm. church and state. Right, right. Is this a test Bettina, is this religious organization doing this because they want to evangelize Boston, or is this some kind of a political test to get attention to themselves and and to let the world know that they exist and here's what they want out of their life? Well, I think any case that proceeds toward the Supreme Court, the people who are instigating that case will always have in mind a broad issue of public policy Mm. that they hope will be supported by the court's decision. So clearly, yes, there is an agenda there. The problem I have with this case is that if the court does find that this is a permissible action to fly a Christian over a city hall, it espouses a form of religious freedom, which I believe our founding fathers did not intend. And it is basically a majoritarian understanding of religious freedom. Former Supreme Court Justice Scalia, uh, he was a proponent of this majoritarian view of religious freedom. There was a Ten Commandments case where there was a Ten Commandments displayed in a Kentucky courthouse some time back. And he wrote in that case that this was not a problem. It was okay for a courthouse to display the Ten Commandments because the vast majority of American people of faith belong to Abrahamic religious traditions, so they wouldn't find it offensive. This is an example of a majoritarian view of religious freedom. And what the subtext of this is, is this is a Christian nation. We can officially endorse symbols of the majority religion. But the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, is in no means intended as a way of shoring up majoritarian power. In fact, quite the opposite. It is intended to protect against what John Stuart Mill famously called the tyranny of the majority. Hmm. You know, so just a very concrete example. If you live in the Bible Belt, you may be very comfortable with religious displays on public buildings. But if you move to another state, such as Utah, where there is another religion that's dominant, Mm -hmm. Would you be equally as comfortable to have those religious symbols displayed prominently on public buildings? You know, it comes back to the fact that religious freedom is really all about caring for the least of these when it comes to religion. The majority religion doesn't need protection. It's the culturally and socially marginalized religious groups and people who are most likely to suffer discrimination. And and there's actually, Charles... There's a roll-on effect, an an ironic after-effect of these cases, such as the one being brought in the Boston flag case, that actually undermines religion, that blunts religion. Because when you bring a religious symbol into the public space and then try to justify why it isn't an endorsement of a particular religion, 
you start to cloak that symbol and blunt it. You, you start calling it historically important yes. or culturally important yes. or traditional part of our culture. And in doing so, you're actually undermining your original purpose, which is to <laughs> uplift yes, um, yes. a Christian symbol or a religious symbol and to display it in its full power. So from both a pragmatic and a principled perspective, we should be very careful anytime we see others demanding that a religious symbol be displayed or seemingly endorsed within a public or civic setting. Hmm. Bettina Krauss, editor of Liberty Magazine. Bettina, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I appreciate your words of guidance. Thank you. Thank you. And listener, we have a website, libertymagazine.org. A lot of good resources there. As you continue your journey of understanding and religious liberty issues, visit libertymagazine.org. This program was sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Bettina Krauss, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>